So as we've read at length today, we're at, you know, we're at Romans 8, 17 now. Uh, but we've been, so we've been going through verse by verse these past 17 verses. And what Romans 8, verses 1 through 17 has been telling us is what the Spirit does. What does the Holy Spirit do? And it answers that question for us. Verses 1 through 4, the Spirit applies the justification of Christ to our lives. Verses 5 through 13, the Holy Spirit applies sanctification to our lives. We just read uh, what is the effect of the effectual calling, right? When we are justified, the Holy Spirit also sanctifies. It makes us more like Christ. And also, probably most loftily, it applies adoption to our lives. And indeed, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. This is according to J.I. Packer, and I agree with him. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Because to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is even greater. And so even though our greatest need has been met by the justifying work of Christ on the cross, he has made us right with God. And that is our most fundamental basic need. That's what we needed the most. But God doesn't stop there. And he has adopted us as his own and calls us his sons and his daughters. He doesn't just make it right, but he makes it makes it love. I mean, he, he loves us. He loves us. That's the point. So verses 1 through 17 is what the Holy Spirit does. But starting next week, Paul, having established what the Holy Spirit does, is going to go into what the Holy Spirit gives. Establishing what the Holy Spirit does, he will go into what the Holy Spirit gives. So that's verses 18 through 39. And so for the next half a year, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit gives to us after having already accomplished what the Holy Spirit, and not only accomplished, but what is, the Holy Spirit is continuing to do in our lives. What does the Holy Spirit give us? Well, just as a preview for us, verses 18 to 25 the Holy Spirit gives us hope for the future. Verses 26 to 27, the Holy Spirit gives us intercession, especially for those who cannot pray. Verses 28 to 30, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of God's sovereignty and providence. That God is in control. And he concludes this chapter by saying that the Holy Spirit gives us security in God's everlasting and unchanging love. But everything that the Holy Spirit gives us is in contingency to our adoption. Because we are sons and daughters, we receive the things that the Holy Spirit gives. Right? And so Romans 8.17, which is the verse we're focusing in on today, it tells us why the Spirit gives us these things. The Holy Spirit has done all these things, and now the Holy Spirit is going to give us these things. Then why does he give us these things? It's because we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then we are heirs. 
right? That's the logical conclusion of our adoption. Because we are adopted, we are brought into sonship. And sonship is not just for the boys, but it's for the girls as well. Because the benefits of sonship is what? It's heirship. And what what, what does being an heir give you? Being an heir means you have an inheritance. And so, our adoption through the Spirit secures for us a great inheritance. But having this inheritance, it also comforts us in our great suffering. And it reminds us of the great coming glory. And so those are our three points for today. Our adoption in the Spirit secures for us a great inheritance, comforts us in our great suffering, and reminds us of the great coming glory. And so let's tackle each one of these in turn. Our adoption through the Spirit secures for us a great inheritance. What is our inheritance? What is, what is the thing that's coming for us? What are the contents of the inheritance? What's in the will, right? Um, And so we've kind of gone through it, but the contents of this inheritance is the things of the Spirit, right? What the Spirit gives us. That's our inheritance, right? Our inheritance is hope. Our inheritance is intercession. Our inheritance is assurance. Our inheritance is security in God's love. We have all of these things. And we are going to get all these things. And we are going to continue getting all of these things because that is what is due to the children of God. But there is a deeper and greater truth of our inheritance. You see, when we as children of God become the heirs of God and thereby receive the inheritance of God, we don't simply get the things of God, but we receive God himself. We don't just get the things of God, we get God himself. Think back to the, uh, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. How the son lost sight of the greatest treasure he had already had and asked his father, give me my share of the inheritance when the greatest treasure in his life was standing there right in front of him, which was the father himself. And yet when we are adopted as his own, we have him to call father. God is our great treasure. And how do we know this? How do we know that God is our great reward and inheritance? We read, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we see the heirs of God part, and we're like, okay, I get that. So I get, I get the God stuff, right? I get the spiritual stuff. I get the good stuff. I get the blessings. But then we read fellow heirs with Christ, and we're like, what does that mean, right? Because isn't Christ God? And so is this like putting Christ on a different level than God? Like is he, is he like less God? And we know that's not true. I hope you know that's not true. <laughs> so what is Paul saying here? Again, he's saying that the greatest reward that we can have, and indeed the greatest reward we already have, is God himself. Because Jesus' greatest reward 
was that he was to be glorified with the Father. Think back to Jesus' prayer in the upper room in John 17, 5. When Jesus prays that he may be glorified with the Father. Because that is Jesus' highest want in all of eternity. The Son longs to be glorified with the Father. To be united, to be one with the Father. And therefore, our greatest reward is exactly that. We receive great things as heirs of God. We receive many blessings, but the greatest thing, the greatest blessing, the greatest reward we can ever receive is direct access to the Father himself. It is access to a Father who has given us himself. This eternal, infinite, everlasting God has chosen to give himself to us. And he has proven that he has. He has proven that he has given himself to us and that he will be with us and he will forever be with us. And he has proven this by giving us his own son, Jesus Christ, who came to suffer on our behalf. We can trust that God is with us. We can trust that God is ours because he has given himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we are united to Christ in our justification and our sanctification and our adoption so too shall we be united to him in suffering and glory because too our adoption through the spirit comforts us in our great suffering let's read this verse we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him provided that we suffer with him. The contingency applied to our inheritance is our suffering with Christ. And we look at that, and maybe your heart drops a little bit. What? There's a catch. I knew there was a catch. (laughs) No way I could just get all these things for free, right? Um, I'll explain why it isn't really a catch. It's not that somehow our suffering in this life contributes to our redemption. It's not like suffering in this life contributes to the blessings that we're going to receive. That if we suffer more, we're going to receive more blessings. And if we're, the more in pain we are, the more glorious my life is going to be. That's not what this is about. But if indeed our greatest reward and our greatest treasure is God himself, If our greatest reward and our greatest treasure is to be united to Christ, then in our suffering, we are made more united to Christ because our Savior and Lord also suffered. That's what we're saying today, is it not? He condescended to suffer on our behalf. And because he has suffered, and because we are made, made one with him through our justification and our adoption, we too will suffer. Romans 5, Paul says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given 
to us. What a, what a majestic message this is for us, all of us, who are enduring all kinds of suffering and pain and tribulation. I don't know, perhaps I should know more because I'm a pastor and there's like five of you here, but what, you may be going through something in your life and it's causing so much turmoil and strife in your heart or in your relationships, in your, in your finances, in your career prospects. You're suffering. And you know, outside of Christ, that suffering, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And, and, and when you suffer, you're just suffering for suffering's sake. But when we are united to Christ, and when we understand the gospel of Christ, we look at our sufferings, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean our sufferings are, like, when we rejoice in our sufferings, it doesn't mean, like, we're, you know, we, we get betrayed, and we're like, oh, I'm so glad I got betrayed. <laughs> I'm so glad, like, I'm broke. I'm so glad that I, my, everything hurts. I'm so glad, like, we're not saying that. But what we are saying is that even in my suffering, God is with me. Christ is carrying me through the suffering. And I know he knows what I'm going through because he has suffered infinitely more than I have. And it's not that Jesus Christ is one-upping us, but he is looking at us with compassion, dignifying us in our suffering because our suffering is not in vain. Our suffering is not for no reason. Not for no reason. Our suffering is for the sake of our endurance. And when we endure we produce character, and in our character, we produce hope. And this hope will never, ever put us to shame because our hope is not in the things that pass by. Our hope is not in more money in the bank account. Our money, our, uh, not our money, our hope is not in that their heart will, will start beating again or that she'll love me again or whatever. Our, our hope is in, in the Christ who did not stay dead, but is alive. And so, <clears throat> um, yeah, we suffer. But I find that the greatest obstacle facing the church today, maybe facing our church today, is not really even a fear of suffering, but it's a fear of inconvenience, right? I think a lot of us, we're not even at the point where we're suffering for the sake of Christ. We're at the point where it's like, I don't want to be inconvenienced for the sake of Christ, right? Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. But <laughs> we, but no matter how great our suffering may be in this life, because it can get pretty big, right? We recognize the greatness of our suffering. And even if we're not suffering, we recognize how great it is in other people's lives. And if we don't see it in other people's lives, just look at the news and see the suffering all around the world. Right? And we, and we say, wow, this is so, this is big. This is massive. This is heavy. Don't think I can bear this. Right? Uh, and we might hear that lie where uh, we hear, you know, God's never going to give you anything you can't handle. Have you ever heard that one? God won't give you something you can't handle, which is the biggest lie in the universe. Why? That's the reason Jesus came. <laughs> the reason Jesus came is because you couldn't handle it. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because you were dead in your sins and trespasses, 
And you could not pay that, that debt back. You can't resuscitate yourself. You couldn't handle your sin and suffering and death, which is why God sent his only son to die on the cross for you. In all of your sin and mess and I can't do this anymore, Christ has come for you. And so, no matter how heavy the price of our suffering may be, though painful, though troubling, our suffering can actually serve as a reminder, first, of Christ's own suffering and how he suffered on our behalf. But it can remind us of an even greater glory that is coming for us. Because three, our adoption through the Spirit reminds us of the great coming glory. Again, suffering is not the means by which we are accepted by God. Suffering more doesn't make God like you more. But suffering is the means by which we are united unto our Savior. It is the means by which we are made more like Christ because just as our Savior suffered, we suffer. And yet, just as he will be glorified, we will be glorified. You see, suffering is the mark of a Christian. If you're a Christian and you're not suffering for the sake of the gospel, you need to start suffering for the sake of the gospel. That's the mark of a Christian. But <clears throat> that's, not the ol- that's not the only purpose of suffering. Suffering is the mark of God's unrelenting faithfulness to those he has called his own. If we can suffer, and if we can suffer with endurance, and if we can suffer with character, and if we can suffer with hope, that is the sign, it is the mark of God's faithfulness to his sons and daughters. May Paul's prayer, may 2 Corinthians 12, 9 be on our hearts. When Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And how can he say such a thing? It's because the glorious and perfect and sufficient grace of Jesus Christ rests upon Paul even in his suffering. And that same grace rests upon you, all of you who God has called his own. And as great as our suffering and pain might seem right now, even greater is the glory that is awaiting us when Christ returns in full majesty. Which is why I'm telling you, maybe you should start with Revelation. Because <laughs> there is coming a day when Jesus will return. And he will not return. He, the, his second coming will not be like his first. His first, he came as a helpless baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths. But his second coming, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will say that either with triumphant joy or with trembling fear. But the hope of the gospel for all of us who call Christ our own and who Christ calls us, calls his own, 
is the verse that we'll actually be unpacking next week, which is Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so having that in our hearts, uh, let me conclude by saying the Spirit has done a great work in us by applying justification and adoption to us and thereby giving us great gifts that of all kinds, but all of these great gifts are wrapped up ultimately in a saving knowledge of and relationship with God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. We have received this great gift of reconciliation with God because we are heirs to a great inheritance. And the greatest reward in that inheritance is God himself, God with us. We have received this great gift for the sake of our suffering with joy and hope, knowing that we do not suffer alone, but we suffer with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have received this great gift from the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ is coming again. And we shall join him in a great and magnificent glory. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have not left us alone in our sin and death, but you have justified us and you have paid the ransom that was due through your son on the cross. And yet you did not even leave it there, but you have done an even more glorious thing by adopting us as your own and calling us your sons and daughters. Not only that, but giving unto us the full benefits of being a son and daughter, which is being an heir. And being heirs, you have given us a great inheritance, a great blessing, a great assurance, a great security. But more than this, you have given us of yourself. And Lord, being united to you, we know that we are united to you not only in our salvation, but in our salvation. We are united to you in suffering. And Lord, in this life, we will face many trials. We will face many tribulations. But Lord, we know that our suffering is not in vain. But may our suffering point us not only to the work that you have already completed, but may our suffering point us to a new and great glory that is to come. That when you come again, we will be glorified with you. And so Lord, may we not be in dismay. May we not despair when suffering comes our way. But Lord, may we hope glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that saves and continues to save us. Thank you, Lord. We trust you. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray.